You know, the way you guys worship, I don't think they'd let me up on stage here if I hadn't started the church. <laughs> Have you been enjoying our series about the prophet Elijah? Has it, come on, has it been a little bit uncomfortable though? Because if it hasn't, like, I don't know where you've been, but uh, it's a little bit uncomfortable because um, uh, it's called Harry Man. Uh, Elijah sends a messenger back to the king and the king's like, so what did the messenger look like? And all the messengers are like, yeah, we, we agree. He was a hairy man. And the king says, I know exactly who you're talking about. The prophet Elijah. Well, there are times in your life that God sends you messengers that you don't particularly like the way that they look or the way that they talk, but God still sent them to you for a reason to help free you from something. And and uh, let's just say sometimes we don't love Moses, but God sent Moses. And that's a good thing. Um, I was so excited to be with you. I wore a pink shirt today. Come on, Venue Church. It takes a confident. Barb says to me this morning, she's like, I haven't seen a man wear a pink shirt. I'm like, you're welcome. Somebody else is wearing it. Yeah, you're wearing a pink shirt. Come on now. It's, catch, it's catching on. Whatever mountain that you're facing today, I hope that you can say this. Moses says to the children of Israel, he says this. In the future, he's seeing this after the Red Sea. You might be pushed up against the Red Sea right now and Pharaoh's like right behind you. He says this. In the future, to the generation that came out, he said, your children will ask you, what does all this mean? I think if there's a generation right now asking for a little context, like, what does all this mean? And we're like, hey, figure it out on your own. And Moses is like, no. They're going to ask, like, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? What's our purpose? He says, then you will tell them with the power of his mighty hand his with the power of god's mighty hand the lord brought us out of egypt the place of our slavery come on venue church you're going to be able to say that to somebody coming behind you who who i mean i can say this to my kids yeah you might have everything but there was a day that we had nothing and with the power of the lord's mighty hand he was the one he was the difference maker he was the one who beat our Goliath. He was the one, by the power of his mighty hand, he brought us up out of Egypt. Somebody's looking to you right now and they need a little bit of courage. And there are people coming behind you that need something from you. And there are people that you need in your life who have gone ahead of you that you need a little something from them. And today is going to be a generational kind of a sermon. Thanks, Sean. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. If, if the generation that Moses went to, if they hadn't actually left Egypt, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Think about, about that. Like it was a big deal to Israel at the time, but think about that on a, on like an international generational scale all these years later and the ripple effect of one generation leaving their place of slavery. I've been thinking about that. Like if they didn't up and leave Egypt, but do you know, there's something about in Egypt that you face that it's always easier to stay than it is to go. Yeah, so right. That's why there was 20 generations in Egypt. 
they spent 400 plus years. So like they say 20 generations in Egypt. It's always easier to stay in Egypt than it is to leave Egypt. But some, you know, a generation that Moses went to, they were willing to do things that maybe the previous generations weren't. You know, they, they, Pharaoh, you remember what Pharaoh said? He's like, you guys got all this time on your hands. So why don't you guys make some uh, bricks without straw? Well, that generation did. Some of the plagues that happened to Egypt also happened to Israel. And they went through them. And they went through them and came out better than they went into. There's a generation that did something. There's a ripple effect. There's a mountain that God asked that generation to climb that because they climbed it. We're having this conversation. I wonder what mountain you're facing today. And I wonder how you're facing that mountain. And I wonder if you think it's just a personal mountain. I wonder if you're, if you're catching up with this idea that there is a ripple effect that is going to affect far more people than you and far more than you That's good. if we can climb our mountain, yeah. if we can yeah. get out of our Egypt, you know. Has anybody ever passed something good down to you? Do you have any mentors or maybe your mom and dad or just maybe somebody in business passed something good down to you? Um, can I preach about my mom? Oh, yeah. I always preach about my dad because, you know, like a guy and his dad. I love my dad. And, uh, oh boy. <laughs> but my mom, she passed some good things down to us. I mean, has anybody ever, she's got more passion than all y'all put together for Jesus. And you're like, how does she do that? She's got all this energy. She finds it somewhere. I think like some of y'all need to like take some lessons. I didn't have to learn passion because my mom gave it to me or made sure that like, lift your hands in church, boy. You love Jesus. Lift your hands in church, but the joy of the Lord, let it be on thy face. <laughs> Man, I learned passion. I learned some things from my mom that, that were good. You know, things that were passed down to me. There's a gift of God. If she's ever prayed for you in the prayer corner and somebody needs a prayer today, if she's ever prayed for you, she doesn't need to know all the things that you came in knowing, but see, you know, all the things that you know about. And when you go to the prayer corner, they're just like, I'm like, just give them something to do from the Holy, that the Holy Spirit shows you. And then you go out and do the thing. And all of a sudden your life works out. You're like, well, when Pastor Breath prays for you, she can get her through all the noise. It's a gift of God from the Holy Spirit. She doesn't know. She hasn't been reading your diary. I mean, no, she hasn't been reading your diary. No, we don't do that. We're not that kind of a church. But there's something that God, well, there's a gift that God passed to me from my mom. There's good things that you learn from somebody that you didn't have to go through, you know. You don't have to climb, you know. But then I think that there are some, some, um, some things that get passed down to us that are like not good things. You know, you come by some things honestly enough, but they're not good things. You know, there's generation after generation in Egypt. So slavery was passed down to them. And um, I was thinking about that too. You know, my mom, my mom's dad, Grandpa Jim. Now, Grandpa Jim was great, but he was like, a, you know, a bit of a hothead. I know it's hard to imagine in our family life. <laughs> so he was like, he was like all fire and, and, uh, I mean, there was parts of him that were good, but then there was this other part of him too, that kind of shipwrecked some of the other, you know, the good parts that were, he was just angry. And, and, um, have you ever been around somebody that you got to watch what kind of mood they're in all the time? Yeah. If your hand isn't up, it's you. <laughs> There's a lot of you out there. You're like, my mom's like, yeah, our home was so volatile. We just, we would just like walk around on eggshells. Like we just never know when dad's going to lose it. 
you know, and, 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 um, we, it was just a, a, a place of anger and a place of kind of manipulation. And you know how it is when somebody who's angry is like yelling at you, they, and, and they just want you to do something for them or, you know, just do it their way or they just get angry. And there's all this, you know, these eggshells. My mom said their place was such a, uh, her home was such a place of anger that one time her, um, her sister, she was babysitting her, her younger sisters and she was not very old at the time. And she, and one of her sisters got so mad that she took a darning needle Right? I th feel like that's what it was. Yeah, it was a darning needle. A darning needle, like three inches long or four inches long, and stuck it in the head of her sister, right there. Like, boom. Yeah, you ever been babysitting a kid and you're like, and they're dead? Like, what am I going to tell dad, you know? <laughs> Where's so and so? Uh, I don't know. Maybe they're, you know, out for a walk. She, she pulls this needle out. My mom pulls this needle out. You know, like, how do you handle some of these situations, right? Like, there was so much anger, there was so much rage and and um my my grandpa his egypt was maybe his anger yeah. you know there's something in your life right now that that you might have come by honestly enough but maybe god doesn't want you to keep but my grandpa never dealt with it he never allowed god to deal with that and so he passed egypt down to my mom the slavery to anger the slavery to this volatile, this eggshell, this mood, like watch my mood, watch how I'm doing, make me happy. Well, hand that to your kids and be like, hey, it's your job to make me happy if I'm not happy. And God's like, why don't you just be happy? Why don't you find your happiness in the Lord and not in your kid? Why don't you find your happiness in the Lord and not in your car? You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's, you don't have to live in Egypt anymore, but you know, I was, I was thinking about my mom and, and um, she's like, I married your father because your father was just like, you met Pastor Richard. I've never even heard him yell. I don't even know what that would sound like. I've never yelled in my life either, just like my dad. <laughs> my dad, he's just like, she's like, I married him because his family was so stable. Like they're just, you know, the, maybe they're not super imaginative, but they're stable. <laughs> it is like this like cool, you can't rile dad up. He just, you can, you can try, but you're not, he doesn't care. You know? And my, but my mom said when I first married him, she said I would, I would be in, I'd be, you know, she said, like, I'd be in the kitchen and I'd be wanting to fight about something. And she said, your dad would just sit there. Just sit there and, like, stare at me. You ever try to pick a fight with somebody that you can't pick a fight with? Because they just, like, kind of think, yeah, it's super annoying, right? They think you're crazy and they're just like, well, I do I have to be crazy too? Is this, like, do both of us have to be? And she, and she was picking a fight, you know, and wanted him to respond and wanted him to get all riled up and he just wouldn't. And then she did what some of, some of us do. She like went, you know, bad cop, bad cop and started like slamming cupboard doors. Do we got any cupboard door slammers? <laughs> and she started slamming cupboard doors. And then she's like, and then your father just sits there. And then he says in like the calmest voice, I don't, I don't get what you get out of that. And now I got to go and get my tools and fix the cupboard doors, right? How frustrating is that? You know, if, if you're a young, <laughs> you're young and you're like newly married, I know that you think that when you have kids, you won't be like that anymore. But listen, everybody, having kids is like drinking a cup of crazy. 
Every breath you take, every move you, they'll be watching you. My mom had a decision to make whether she was going to pass the Egypt that she inherited along to us. Because a kid like me would have been very susceptible to that kind of Egypt. That anger that our home doesn't look the way that her home looked like. Because she decided that Egypt was going to stop with her. And she allowed the Holy Spirit to do a work in her. See, she had a mountain to climb that she didn't want to pass on. Now, now you may not have kids, but you have somebody at work that's watching you. You got somebody at youth group that's watching you. You got somebody at school that's watching you. Every move you make. And see, they have their own mountain. The people coming behind us, they have their own mountain that God wants them to climb so that the world gets better. And, and I, it's hard, but their mountain is also going to be twice the height of your mountain. But if you don't climb your mountain, I don't know that they're going to climb their mountain. And, and my mom decided not to give me her mountain to climb and then have to climb this other. And see, what, what the devil has been trying to do is try to seed himself into society. And sooner or later, children of God got to rise up and say like, hey, we're not going to stay here though. We're not happy with this Egypt, you know? If you're constantly in debt, why don't you climb the mountain so that the people coming behind you don't climb the same mountain? Today's sermon is called Your Ceiling, Their Floor. If you can climb your mountain with grace and if you can do these things in the hand of God, wouldn't you want them to just start where you ended? You ready? Personal motivation won't be enough to fight the real fight. Personal motivation. We hear this all the time right now. So let me unwind a little Canadian thinking. Personal motivation. It's always like, do this because you owe it to yourself. Do this. You owe it to yourself. Get healthy. You owe it to yourself. Get out of debt. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to you. Owe it to you. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. That there's going to, your mountain is bigger than what you can personally motivate yourself to do. It's going to take more capacity than you're ever going to have. That's true. Personal motivation. If personal motivation, listen, you're never going to be do it if you're only personally motivated by you. Because then it's like, hey, for your own happiness, do this thing. But I can tell you that some of you were passed down things in your family line that you're going to have to get so unhappy for God to deal with that it won't be worth it. If it's just personal, if the only reason you're doing it is for you, you're going to have to cross the unhappiness and the suffering and the sacrifice. You're going to have to cross this river so many times that it won't be worth it. At some point along the way, there'll be enough pain or suffering or injustice or to buy you. There's, if it's just personal, it won't be enough. If your motivation is only personal. And, and if it's only personal, you'll do one of two things. And I found this in my life. I think you'll find it in yours. You'll either fail at climbing the real mountain because you won't be able to. So I don't know that you can do anything but fail. Or the second thing that we do is we move the target to where we want our arrows are flying. Or what we do is, in my case, I'll just build a little parallel mountain over here that will look like that mountain, but it won't be that mountain. It'll be a little bit smaller and it'll be like, I could feel like I can do this one. So God's like, hey, you need to deal with all that anger issue, all of it. And you're like, I feel like if I don't get angry on Tuesdays and Thursdays, that that will, 
you make a deal with this other mountain. But then God looks over there and he's like, well, you don't need a miracle because you can actually do that one. See, you're like, but God, like, you don't understand how hard I work at this. You don't understand. God's like, no, I understand. The problem is you don't understand. And we're like, God, like, it would take a miracle. And God's like, yeah, I know. It would. It would take a miracle. And so he's like, I got to get you past this area where you're just trying to personally motivate yourself personally to personally climb a mountain. He's like, don't you want your life to matter that's bigger than your life? You know, don't you want to do something that passes along to somebody so that when you leave this earth, they're not just like, yeah, they personally climbed a mountain and got wealthy and spent it all on themselves. Oh, congratulations. Who cares? Don't you want your life to matter? Like, hey, yeah, well, so they got over their anger problem and they were happier. And yeah, I don't want my kids to look at me and be like, yeah, personally, he climbed a personal mountain. That's great. Yeah, I want them to be like, and this is what, and I climbed my mountain because he, and I went further because they, and I didn't stop because they showed me yeah, right. there, there will be deep character flaws inside of you that you'll need to overcome. That will be so deep that they're a part of who you are. And you're going to have to lose a little part of who you are to become what God wants you to be. Right. And you're like, and then you'll tell your husband, like, I just, I'm not myself anymore. And he's like, some of yourself was like, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever like looked at yourself in crazy, in crazy mirror. Have you ever done that in the middle of an argument? Just be like mirror. Like, oh my goodness, who's that? Like, yeah, no, you do have to lose some of yourself because some of yourself is a lot of sinful. And God wants you to, you know, it says be a new man, be a new woman in Christ. Like, hey, let's regenerate the whole thing. Let's resurrect the whole thing. Listen, um, I'll say this in marriage counseling sometimes. I'm like, look, this problem is so deep inside of you or inside of both of you. I'll say, I'll say, and I've said it. I'm like, if you've got kids in the mix, I'm like, go and just watch your kids sleep. And then tell yourself, if I don't deal with this thing, they're going to have to. Yeah. And in 20 or 30 years, I'm going to watch them go through the same thing that I'm going through right now if I won't do it. I'm like, if the motivation is not the ones coming behind you, you'll never get out of Egypt. What motivated that generation in Egypt? Their personal happiness? No, 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 no. Being chased by Pharaoh wasn't like a happy experience. You know, David being chased by Saul is not a happy experience. No, but there was a generation coming behind him that needed him to be willing to live in a cave for a little bit, to be willing to fight wars, to be. Now, the, the, the cost of passing on a double anointing, because today's sermon is about Elijah and Elisha. Why couldn't they just, the names are this, like the same. I'm going to get all mixed up. Elijah and Joe, you know, that'd be, that'd help me out. Elijah and Elisha. So Elijah is going to pass on a double anointing to Elisha on the last day of Elijah's life. So far, so good. Because, because Elisha knew that what God expected of him was twice what God expected of Elijah and the generation coming behind us know that there's more expected of them. And Elisha's like, this work has to go on and I need something from you before you go. And I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about the cost of passing that on. The cost of, of passing on a double anointing to those coming behind you. Uh, the cost, I don't think we spend enough time thinking about it or doing it. I think somebody here needs to be a spiritual uncle or a spiritual aunt yeah. to a kid who's got no spiritual parents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think somebody here's got to maybe start like working with the youth because you have something you need to pass on to them. Yeah, it's, you're a mess. So tell them about the parts of you that aren't a mess that got fixed. 
I mean, there's something in you to pass on to the next generation. Now, the cost of passing on the double anointing is something that you will disagree with because of the country that you live in. You can't come into the kingdom of God and expect that we're going to take a vote and tell God he wasn't really serious about some of the things he told us to do. <laughs> we think that, right? Well, pastor, we, we took a vote. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> we don't agree with the way the, the vision of the church. I'm like, I don't sometimes too, but it doesn't really matter because they're not my church. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I should be, I feel like that's a, probably a pretty good thing, you know? Yeah. But there's the cost of it. Moses paid a cost that you won't like to get Israel out of Egypt. I'm thinking of the prophet Deborah. The king of Canaan had a cruelly oppressed Israel for 20 years, an entire generation under, I mean, in cruelty. And Deborah had to give this thing up for Israel to be free. I wonder if you'll give it up. Paul the Apostle, how many times did he give up what I'm going to talk about that you won't like so that the gospel could go to the Gentiles? Because if you're not Jewish, when you get to heaven, you owe Paul a little something. And he gave this thing up so that you'd get there. I think about Jesus hanging on a cross. He gave up every inch of what I'm going to talk about. This is what it costs. Ready? Christ follower. It'll cost you your personal rights and freedom. <gasps> you don't tell the son of God hanging on a cross, like, how's your personal rights and freedom doing? Because if you think that Jesus saved you to maintain your personal rights and freedom, if I could define it like this, doing what you want when you want. I want to worship how I want. I want to do what I want. I want to spend what I want. Your personal rights and freedom. Our nations were founded on a freedom of religion, like I can worship who I want. But God gets to define how that looks, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, if I can't give up my personal rights and freedom in this Canadian mindset of like, hey, it's all about me and God's never going to ask me for it. Listen, the only way I can preach this is because I went through this. When God asked me to give up for my kids coming behind me, my personal rights of freedom in the worst ways I can imagine. And I fought this. I'm like, but God, you don't. And God, God's like, look, do you want them to be free or not? Personal rights and freedom. Think about Moses. Moses had already escaped Egypt. Yeah. And God's like, go back. Right. Pastor Mark was a child slave in Haiti. And God told him, go back. Yeah. No, go back. Those are your people. Go back. Sometimes we just get out and we're just like, hey, we're free. And God's like, but they're not. Right. And is anybody free? If somebody's not, you think about the apostle Paul, like, can I just say that I think that Paul right now would be a little bit sick of Christians right now fighting so hard for their personal rights and freedom. Paul's like, yeah, like the time that I was in jail with Silas at midnight, Roman citizen. If I had just opened my mouth and be like, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. They couldn't have touched me and I'm still in jail. Why? Because uh, the jailer's family needed something. And the other prisoners needed to hear somebody in the middle of jail singing at midnight instead of complaining at midnight. Paul writes this scripture. Paul writes, I'm, I'm getting tired of Christians fighting about their personal rights and freedom. When that's the cost for their neighbors to come to Christ. Dealing with a little injustice. Dealing with a little backlash. Dealing with eating some sin. Eating some injustice. Doing something that matters for somebody that matters. 
You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just in this place now. I'm like, Christ follower. Jesus didn't die on a cross for you to maintain your personal rights and freedom to do what you want. He died on the cross to save you, and you're supposed to carry your cross to save the next person. Look, you get the taco bar in heaven. But here on this earth, you will have trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. Um, Paul writes this to the Ephesians. In him, Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And you're like all the freedom fighters. I'm a freedom fighter, so I get it. We're like freedom and confidence. Paul was feeling free and Paul was confident. But Paul, right when he was writing that, was in jail. And when he wrote uh, Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, he was in jail. He was in car sir ray ted <laughs> you're laughing if you haven't seen logan lucky you need to watch it he was in prison he was in prison you and i man when i'm in prison i just complain so much about being in prison and god's like your daughter's watching you how are you are you going to be filled with grace carrying your cross or are you just going to be angry crazy are you just going to be like why is this happening to me like just for the next 40 years of your life? Are you going to learn how to carry it with a little bit of grace and learn how to climb your mountain with a little, with a smile on your face, because it's better than where you came from. It's better than climbing a mountain down into sin and into hell. It's better than what you had. At least you know what you're doing it for. Do you though? Are you doing it for the ones in your ripple effect? Are you just doing it for you? Leadership is going back when you already got out. You know, I think about, I think about my friend Dustin at church, you know, his personal rights and freedom, he loves fishing. Why anybody likes fishing, I don't know. It takes, it takes too long. You can buy it at the store. I, I save a whole day. But listen, a lot of people fish on Sunday mornings. Dustin doesn't. Dustin teaches our, our kids. Is he teaching right now? So he comes in, he serves one, and he sits one. That's what we do here. We serve one and we sit one. Because... Uh, it's not all about you and I don't want you consuming. I want you producing, but it's also, you need to eat. And so, and so he gives up his personal right and freedom so that our kids see a grown man who loves Jesus. Man, I, I want your boys and girls to see that and be like, Hey, men can love Jesus too. In fact, we got a lot of young men that help out in Sunday school. I love it. I mean, teaching girls to love Jesus is like shooting fish in a barrel. Y'all are like spiritual or something, but I love it when I, Come on, we have a high percentage of men here, by the way, which is pretty awesome. Now, Elijah has the right to stay in the cave from last week. He could stay there and watch Netflix. He could stay there and be safe. It's a trap. He could stay there. But he spends the, the next years of his life pouring into Elisha and pouring into a... a now, now, a prophet's guild comes out into the open and he starts training up the prophets and the sons of the prophets. He starts... He gives up his personal rights and freedom and his platform. He gives it up to serve the next generation that comes because the last thing he wants is for them to start where he started. He wants them to start where he ended. Um, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, uh, they, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, probably for the first time in their relationship, Elijah replied, as surely as the Lord lives, this is a huge thing to say back then. And as you yourself live, I will never leave you. And so they went, 
down together to Bethel, there's something generation you need from the generation in, that went before you. I know you think they're crazy, but there's something that you need from them, but you don't get it if you leave. Elijah's like, hey, no, no, why don't you stay here? Remember he told his last servant, stay here. And his last servant let him go on alone and get all isolated. And, and Elisha's remembering this and he's like, that guy left. I'm not going to be the guy who leaves. Right. And there's something there that, that it's like, no, if you, you got to stick around for the blessing if you want it. If you don't have the gumption for that. I mean, some, some of y'all older folks need to get in some younger people's small groups. I know they irritate the heck out of you because they're so dramatic. <laughs> But we need that. And they think you're crazy and craggy. But they need that, like, stick to itness, like, come on, let's do this, young people. We can do this. You're facing what? Oh, this is what I face. Oh, we can do this. Like, my dad paddled, pedaled his bike up six feet of snow, uphill to school and uphill back from school. No steering wheel, no seat. We used to make fun of my dad. Seven miles. And we're like, yeah, we know, dad. We know. Well, we need that. Yeah. Um, and then it says a group of prophets from Bethel. Now, this group of prophets, before Elijah starts pouring into them, this group of prophets aren't out in the open, if they even exist. But now there's a group of prophets out in the open. Now, why? Because he's pouring out into the next generation. And they came to Elisha and, and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Uh, Elisha answered, of course I know. Be quiet. Like, shut up. He's like, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. They had this relationship. You know how it is that you can say that to, to somebody. Like, shut up. Like, I need to. It's like, don't let this out. I need something. I need something. Guys, quiet. I need something. You need me to get this thing for you. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. Sometimes the gen generation in front of us tests us a little bit. Yeah. They prune us. They weed us out. I grew up in the trades. There was a lot of weeding out. Hurt feelings reports. That was a thing we used to have. Like, Come on now, tradespeople, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody else is like, oh, you monsters. I'm like, man, you should have met some of the people that I followed. They applied pressure. Why? Because there's only one way to get gold, and that's with a bit of fire. And, and if you can't hit that shot in practice, you'll never hit it in a game. I remember one time a journeyman said I was an electrician, and he said, if I need to come there and figure that out, then I guess we don't need you. Right. <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> is that how people do Facebook? I feel like that's not. I feel like that's like typing on a laptop, right? So, yeah. Facebook. Can you believe this happened to me? I'm not going to name the person, but I'm working with them right now. <laughs> they apply pressure. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho. See, this it's working. It's working. But it takes time. It takes more time than you think to get to the next generation. See, your public platform doesn't mean anything if the next generation starts over again. But this takes time. Training your kids takes time. Training, helping the people at work behind you takes time. It takes more time than you think. He said, I'll never leave you. They went to Jericho, the group of prophets from Jericho. Have I just read this? I can't remember anymore. Said the same thing. Do you know? Like, there must have been a prophecy going around. Like, Elisha, do you know that Elijah's going to go? And he's like, shut up. I know. And he said, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, no. 
I love you, but no, I'm not leaving you. You're not going to, you're not going to take this last part of your journey by yourself. I'm with you. I'm with you. Whatever happens to you is going to happen to me too. Come on. Have you ever said that to somebody like, Hey, I don't, I served my dad for 20 years and I'm like, Hey, wherever you're going, I'm going to, you don't have to worry about me. You don't have to worry. I'm coming. 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah took that old nasty fur mantle of the prophet. He folded his cloak together. Now, when Elisha was called, he was a successful businessman. It says he was plowing with the 12th yoke of oxen. That was a lot to have back then. And Elijah comes, this hairy, crazy prophet comes and tosses his mantle, this heavy mantle, like tossed a bearskin on Elisha. Yeah. He's like, hey, you got to start, I got to get you fit to carry this thing around, but it's going to be heavy. Yeah. It's going to be heavy. He takes Elijah, then he's like, hey, I'm going to wear this now. I'm going to apprentice you because you don't start carrying that mantle right now. We need some years to get you fit. But then he's like, he takes this mantle and he says, he rolls it up, he folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. Man, you need Elijah or you're not getting across the Jordan. This is not a tiny little stream where he just like floated it and then they kind of walked. This was like the Bow River and this crazy guy comes up and he's like, you need that. Who's like, that river is not going to stop you. Strike it with the mantle of God and be like, we're going through. And it says they went through on dry ground. You're like, that's impossible. And God's like, yes, obviously everything I do is impossible. (laughs) When uh, When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, you passed the test. Great job. Tell me now what I can do for you. I see you, you have my resilience. You have my spirit. You have my fight. You have my stick to it. You have my courage. You got, you got what the next generation needs. Now ask me, what can I do for you? Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. He's like, I can't stand a world where your work doesn't go on. Yeah. We're just going to continue that work because God started this and it's not going to end here. But I know what the expectation of my life, there's double the miracles recorded in Elisha's life than Elijah. And Elijah did some miracles. He's like, I can feel the weight of it, the weight of the change that the world needs. I can feel it. I need double of what you have. And he asked for it. He doesn't take it. You don't get to take it. It's not yours to take, but it's theirs to give. You ask him like, hey, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to do this thing. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you'll get what you request. But if not, then you won't. They're walking along and talking, and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of, of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it, and he cried out. He knew. He saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, and they disappeared from sight. And it says, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. You know what this is? He may have only had one like outer garment that was common in that day you didn't have like 10 changes of clothing you had like one cloak and he tears it see when elijah throws his cloak and calls him elisha takes his business it says he took his his the yoke from the oxen and burned it and it says that he sacrificed the oxen he's like i'm not going back to this i'm following you wherever you go to apprentice, to learn, to serve. 
And now what he does is he's like, okay, this is my life coming up to this point. This was my mantle. It's not going to take me where I need to go. I'm taking your mantle now. I'm ready. I'm going to take your mantle now. But who I was that got me here is not going to get me where I need to go. I I need what you have and I need the double portion. Said Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Hey, Elijah's not here, but where's the God of Elijah? Because you're here. The river divided and Elijah went across. Elisha went across. I said I was going to mix it all up. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elijah. Elisha. (laughs) So hard. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. You know what's going to give the next generation, your children, the people behind you, you know what's going to give them the courage to climb their mountain? When you tell them how you climbed yours. And your mountain can't be about you. It's got to be about God. When you take them by the hand, you take your child by the hand and you're like, we had nothing till we came to church and God saved us. We didn't know anything about this and we had nothing. And you get everything now? Yeah, but what God wants from you, let me take you by the hand and show you how to climb mountains. There was a time we had nothing. You gotta, you gotta stop being obsessed about the mountain and looking at the mountain. You gotta start obsessing about what you're gonna tell the ones behind you. You gotta start practicing. David killed Goliath, but he killed a lion and a bear first. And what God's already done for you, he's gonna do for you even more so. And sometimes you forget that God can take Goliath out, but he's already taken Goliath out in your life. And you need to quit focusing on the mountain you're climbing and look where you came from and realize by God's hand, I came over that mountain and I'm not going to climb this one in my strength. I'm going to climb it in God's strength. And the reason that you're going to do more than I am is because you're going to climb the mountain with the grace that I climbed my mountain. You're going to get out of Egypt because I got out of Egypt and what God will do for me, he'll do for you. 